0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's good to see all of you here today. That's uh, one of those things. If um, it's one of the, if I could change one thing. This is really kind of trivial. If I could change one thing, I would say, Lord, could you just make it real obvious whether we're supposed to have services or not? (laughs) Don't wait till 7.30, let it start snowing. Some people got ice and some people don't. Anyway, not a big deal. We're here, and I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, There is something that really, really bothers me as a pastor from time to time. I mean, it's it's always there, but sometimes it, it really... Uh, it just gets heavy. I've talked with other pastors about it, and they feel the same way. I, I mentioned it the day before. We've, we've talked about it some. And, and that's this, that somebody could be here week in and week out for years, and their life come to an end, and they didn't know Jesus as Savior. It bothers me, um, and I could say, well it's not not my fault because I preach the gospel and I do preach the gospel, but at the same time it's like man what a what a terrible shame that would be to be here and and year after year and never really settle that issue in your life um, and I'm not uh, us, us preachers here today aren't the only ones that are concerned about that the Apostle Paul was concerned about this. Uh, not the exact same scenario, but let's take our Bibles and go to First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul, and First Corinthians, I mean Second Corinthians. That'll work a whole lot better. Second Corinthians, uh, this letter, Paul has been dealing with um, opposition, people who are challenging his apostleship, challenging him, his the gospel he's preaching, all sorts of things, uh, which in and of itself, you know, you can deal with that. But then he starts looking and he talks about the jealousies and the divisions and the motivations that were behind that were were ungodly motivations. And um, so he gets down to the end of his letter and we get to verse number five, and he says this. In, in light of all this, he says to them, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless deed you are, unless indeed you are disqualified. But disqualified, he means that, that you have not come to know Christ as Savior, he says, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. So there's he's going back to say, know that we are who we say we are and, and, and God is speaking through us. But that, it's interesting, right here, in all of this that he's talked to them, he's challenging them about the issues and then challenging them about how they are responding and how they're living and he wants them to be confident. And then he says, verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And so... I think that's going to be a wise thing for us to do, wouldn't it? From time to time to test ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that you need to, to you know, worry about, oh, am I really saved? Am I not really saved? What's go-? We're going to go through some things today I think will help you with that. But, um, Well, I'll just let the the word speak for itself here today. We really want to talk about examining ourselves. The first thing he says is, in the faith. Examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. What does he mean by in the faith? Well, just to try to summarize that, he means that you have personally believed the gospel. Personally, you have come to that in your own life. I believe the gospel. I have... Uh, been saved by receiving Jesus as Savior. When John says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even those who believe on his name. So save, receiving Christ by believing in him, placing your faith and trust in him, and then living a life changed by Christ's presence within. Because when someone comes to Christ, something profound happens deep down inside, and their, their lives are not the same anymore. Do you remember that in your own life? The changes that occurred? How you even looked at things? I mean, I, I remember I was... Um, I started attending uh, a church that preached the gospel uh, during my senior year of high school and continued uh, to, to be there and to uh, learn and hear. And I grew up in a, in a Christian church, but where the gospel was not really clearly preached. Okay? There was a lot more social gospel to it then here's how you come to know Christ's gospel. And so I go to this other church, and, and I'm hearing lots of things that I've already heard, things, but yet there was something different. Hearing the gospel very clearly explained that I needed to receive Christ as Savior. And I'm kind of thinking, well, I, I believe that stuff, you know. And and so I went all through my senior year of high school, the summer following, and then I into my first year of college at the University of Missouri. And January of that year, it, it, the, the specifics of the service doesn't really matter, but all of a sudden the, the preacher asked that night, he said, "Are you sure beyond a shadow of doubt that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven because you've received Jesus as Savior?" And all of a sudden I went, "Don?" I, I didn't know. I didn't have that confident assurance. And I didn't, you know, I didn't quite know what to do about it because I'd already got baptized. Told them I was already saved. I was teaching the sixth grade boys Sunday school class. Those lucky boys. (laughs) Push-ups works wonders with sixth grade boys. Uh, Anyway. So January, I struggled with that. February, I struggled with that. March, I struggled with that. I would drive home from church, and a couple of times I pulled over and said, "Okay, God, if if I if I wasn't already saved, save me. I want to be whatever." And it just never solved the problem. You know, it wasn't until finally April, and it was ended up being April fourth, nineteen seventy-five. I remember the date when I came to Christ. I was in a kind of church where they told you to keep track of stuff like that. So I know the date. I know the time. It's between 9 and 10 o'clock at night. But I remember finally just, just saying, I, I was trying to, oh God, I'm not living right, you know, and I know it, and I wasn't, and struggles, and, and finally I, I just stopped because I knew, and I said, okay God, I'm not saved, I know it. And it's all of a sudden to me, and this is not, it's nothing weird, but all of a sudden I felt like heaven opened and I was getting through because I was finally dealing with what the real issue was. And I, I knew the gospel, I'd heard it many times, you know, and I prayed and trusted, received Christ as my Savior. And, and I, I got up and went upstairs at the church where I was and saw the youth pastor, and, and I immediately had this thought, I don't need to tell him because he already thinks I'm saved. Now, this is one of, of, of uh, probably less than you could count on, on two hands here, where... I have a very clear sense that God spoke directly to me—not audibly, right—but but communicated very clear with me, and that was, if you don't tell him, you're going to be in the same boat that you've been in. You're going to, you know it's not going. You need to settle it, and so I told him that night, and ever since then I have never doubted. Now I've doubted. Why do I live like this if I'm a Christian? <laughs> But do you understand what I'm saying? Is that, that clear? But here's what, what I want to say to you is this. That from that moment when I see, it changed something in me. Now, later on, I, I grew and learned what the Word said and came to understand what that was. And that's that I had been spiritually dead deep down inside. I had a nature that was bent towards selfishness and sin. And when I got saved, Jesus moved in and gave me new life and a new nature. Changed my deepest desires. And that's been a work in progress ever since, working its way out into my life, connecting with what's really true. But so, I say all that to say that that becoming a believer in Christ involves a decision, an awareness to receive Christ. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, But when we generally receive Christ, it does produce change in our lives. Now... This isn't essay a change that I can look at you and say, oh, I see the change. I may not see the change for a while because I don't know what's going on, but I do know that it, when you receive Christ as Savior, it changes something. And it begins a change process in your life. How you think. What your deepest desires are. Okay? And so when we're talking about are you in the faith, you, it means you personally believe the gospel. You have, you've made that decision at some point to receive Jesus as your Savior. Uh, to take care of the penalty of your sins and uh, to give you eternal life. You, and I didn't put in all the things, you've got to believe Jesus who he said he was, all that. And, but then it, a change occurs in your life. So the Apostle Paul says that we are to examine ourselves to see if we are actually in the faith. Is this true for us? And so when he says examine, what does he mean? He means to test or to scrutinize uh, it's, it's like a test. You think, how many of you ever had a fish tank that you tried to keep the fish alive in? Right? Well, you had to do what? You had to do what? Test the water, right? Put strip in the end to, to see what the pH was, right? Okay, you had to test it to see that's what you were doing. Um, gold. They test gold. A quick test, they use the touchstone test and rub the gold on this thing and then drop a little, some kind of acid or something on it and see how it reacts when compared to the way real gold should be. There's also some sort of electrical test that they can do. But the idea is we're trying to see, does this have the characteristics of what real gold is? Okay, so this is the idea of testing. Well, we need to do this in our lives. This is what Paul is telling his readers. And I think us here today, that it makes sense for us to examine ourselves and say, do the characteristics of my life match what someone who is truly in the faith would be like? In other words, how am I living my life? What am I doing? What am I not doing? What are my attitudes? What are my beliefs? On and on and on. Now, you might... (laughs) Sometimes when I say things to you, I hope you have turmoil in your mind about it. <laughs> this is sort of one of those times. Because if I'm telling you, hey, are you really saved? Well, let's see, how are you living your life? What are you doing? You could easily start to get the, the, the sense that what? if In order to be saved, I must what? Are you guys tracking with me? I could easily start to think, what, in order to be saved, I must do this, and I must do this, and I must not do that, and I must not do that, and I must, right, and and it's the idea of adding works to being saved, to salvation, and you ought to say, Pastor Walt, if that's what you're saying, we got a problem here, okay, that would be good response for you to say, uh, but I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Scripture's clear. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of what? Not of works, okay? So we're talking about uh, coming to Christ, receiving Christ as Savior, having that point in time where there is a conversion that takes place. You have turned away from uh, your own ways of dealing with the issues. You've turned away from your own sin, turned to God and said, oh God, here I am, I am lost. I believe you provided... Uh, you know, Jesus dying for my sins, rising, rising again, and I receive Jesus Savior. I accept his, you know, death as payment for the penalty for my sins. And, and that, that has occurred. And what else is required? What else is required? Just go ahead and say it. You know the answer. Nothing. That's right. It's exactly right. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That point when you come and believe, and by faith you you trust. Um, So here's the question that we we need to answer then. We are saved by faith, when we believe. The question is this, it's what kind of faith? Because there's more than one kind of faith. Have you ever watched the news and somebody's in a bed, you know, something terrible has happened, and they say, oh, but we have our faith to sustain us. And you just know they aren't talking about Jesus. They're talking about their what? Somehow or other, we got this faith thing. <laughs> we're believing, we're, we're holding, you know, onto something. Uh, so what kind of faith we have really, really matters. And to give you a, an example, think. If, if all of a sudden your car, you go to the gas station, you fill up, and, and you start to go, and all of a sudden your car quits and will not run. Okay, and we ask you, so what's going on? You start asking questions. You say, well, I just filled it up. I just put gas in. Well, what kind of gas did you put in it? Well, I put diesel in it. Is your car a diesel? No. Or we could have gone the other way, right? You're a diesel. And you're dip- but the idea is, what kind of gas is that? that? well, The wrong kind of gas, the car won't run. Well, guess what? The wrong kind of faith won't save you. Won't bring you to salvation. All right. So let's, let's take a look at this. Let's ask this question. What kind of faith do we need? And so let's go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, that's page 1387. In the Bible that's there in the chairs. This is a, a real interesting passage of Scripture. Very, I think very powerful passage of Scripture. Um, James is a very practical man as he writes about the Christian life. Verse 14. Let me just stop for a minute because a thought just came through my mind I want to say to you. If you are, you know, you say, oh, I'm confident I know the Lord. I've already received him as Savior. Therefore, this sermon isn't for me. Let me assure you that as we walk through that it is for you because your issue may not be that you are not saved. The issue may be is why aren't you living more like you're saved, right? So there's an issue there either way to look at. All right, so James chapter 2. He says what in verse 14, sorry, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And, and I think the sense of, of uh, as we look at the Greek language and the context and the whole rest of the Bible, the idea is this, it's, it's can that kind of faith save you? Can a faith that does not have works, can a faith that does not produce works, Can that kind of faith save you? Because, once again, if you ask someone, do you have faith or do you believe, they might say, well, I believe in God. And what do they mean by that? They mean, I I think that he exists. Okay? That is not the kind of faith we're talking about. It's, it's a different kind of faith, and I'm, I'm going to get into more specifically but let's work our way through the Scripture here and see what James is saying. So can, can the kind of faith that doesn't produce works, can that kind of faith save you? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So have you helped them? No. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, if the kind of faith you're talking about isn't the kind of faith that produces works in your life, it's dead faith. It isn't isn't what we would call living faith or biblical faith. Let's continue. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. And James says, well, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Let's go back. Show me your faith without your works. Can you do that? No. You can't see faith, can you? You can see works. So you show your faith by your works. You show your faith by how you live your life. Verse 19, he says, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now that's a thought, isn't it? Do the demons know there's a God? Do they know he has a son who came into this world and died and rose again? Do they know that? Yeah, they do. They know all this stuff. And so right here, very clear, very important for us to understand that saving faith, the kind of faith that will save us, is not just intellectual. It includes the intellectual, but it's not just the intellectual. If it's just intellectual, it is not the kind of faith that will save you. Okay? All right. Verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Say, wait a minute, what are you talking about, James? If we go back and read the story, Genesis chapter 15, I think it's verse number 6. God's talking to Abraham and telling it says, and Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. It was his belief, his faith placed in, in, in God and, and his promises to him that brought his salvation. And he's used as an example. We get in the book of Romans, he's almost a whole chapter devoted to that. Galatians talks about it as well. Abraham, the example of what it means to be saved by faith. Chapter 15, chapter 22, God tells Abraham, take your only son Isaac, the one who I made all the promises about, take him and I want you to sacrifice him for me. And if you don't know the story, this sounds kind of weird, you just need to jump in chapter 22 and read it at some point, Genesis 22. But so Abraham is going to obey God and he does that. And, and he, he gets to the very point of where he raises the knife to sacrifice Isaac. God stops him and provides a substitute in Isaac's place, which is a picture of what he's done for us in Christ, okay? But he stops him. And in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God that if God had let him kill Isaac, that God would have raised Isaac from the dead to keep his promise. Now, there's some faith for you, isn't it? He believed God. So what does this mean, then, when James says... Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Let me just just say it this way. Abraham claimed to have believed God. Was his claim justified? You see that? That's the question. You and I have claimed that we have believed God and trusted Christ as Savior. Is that claim justified? How would we know? By what? How we live our lives. You see? So, in a sense, our works justify our claim that we have believed. And so when he says Abraham was justified, that's what he's talking about. He he believed, he said he was believed, and it's justified because look at what he did. Okay? The salvation came when he believed, and his life is the justification it's just for the claim that that has happened. Let's continue reading. Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? In other words, saving faith should produce works in our lives. That's God's intent. We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? By grace you're saved through faith. It's gift of God, not of works. God, Verse. the next verse, God has done, what? We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Remember? Good work. See, that's supposed to be part of this. It's a continuation. It's a living out of this faith that has saved us. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. See, that's his how he lived his life, fulfilled that statement. He was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Same, same story, uh, kind of thing. I'm not going to go into that. Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit, without breath, is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay? So there's this relationship between faith and good works. Faith and good works. All right, so let's talk about faith here for a little bit. Um, There's two, when the Bible talks about faith, this living faith, not dead faith, living faith, the kind of faith that actually we get saved when we have it. uh, But there's two major parts to this, and one is intellectual, because there are certain things you have to know. Right When it comes to getting saved, you have to know that there is a God, don't you? And that He is a holy God, and that you are accountable to Him. And then you have to know something about yourself, that I have sinned, I have fallen short of God's standards. And I I need to know that if I die like this, I'm going to be separated from God forever in hell. That's the reality. I have to know that Jesus died. And and when He died, that God put the penalty for my sins on Him. I need to know that. And I need to know that He rose again from the dead. This is God has... What God has said is true. I have to know these things, okay? So there's an intellectual aspect to faith. But then there is, what the fancy word is a volitional aspect of faith. In other words, an act of your will where I know these things, I choose to trust these things for me. I've used this illustration many, many times, but I believe... I'll say, I believe this chair will hold me up. There's an intellectual aspect. I can look at it. Made out of metal. It seems pretty strong. All those kinds of things. I have the intellectual aspect. And I say, okay, I believe that that chair will hold me up. And you say, okay, well then sit in it. And I go, "Eh, no, no, no way. I'm not, I, I can't take that chance. Something's missing, right? I have the intellectual aspect, but I haven't trusted it isn't until I say, okay, I know this and I trust it. See, that's that's this idea. So when we talk about faith, the kind of faith that saves us, and really the kind of faith that we are to live our Christian life with, is that we know something is true and then we trust it. We act upon it. Okay, and That's why saving faith produces works because we know something is true, and we place our trust in it, and that then leads us to live and act a certain way, okay? So, when Paul says examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith, this is what he's talking about. It's not just that you know the right things, but you have personally chosen to trust it, and now those things are being worked out into your life. Does this mean we become perfect people when we get saved? No. The reality is, is that sin has messed us up so much. Sin has messed us up way more than we understand, I think. And so it continually, we find we have this, have you ever had a knot that was so tangled you thought I can never get rid of it? you just gave up and cut the string, right? Well, God doesn't cut the string, but I mean, the idea is that we have that in our lives and God is the one who we have to trust to help us untangle those things. And so we don't don't become perfect. So what are the marks then of a, People who are in the faith. People who are in the faith. Just real quick, let's go through it. The first one is this, that they are consciously and confidently trusting Jesus as Savior. Okay, someone who's in the faith is doing that. Secondly, they obey the Lord by being baptized. What did Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all the nations and do what? Baptizing them. So they have followed the Lord in baptism. They believed that and did that. Third thing, they desire to read and understand what God says in the Bible. There's a, a hunger for the Word. Okay? And then fourth, they desire to live the way God describes and commands in the Bible. And then, and, and when they don't, they have this awareness of, I've sinned and, you know, and they, they want to deal with that. People who are in the faith, number five, experience an ongoing awareness of their relationship with God. And by this, I don't mean some whoo kind of thing. But just this conscious awareness of, I have a relationship with God. We'll talk more about this in a minute. And then sixth, they are motivated by a growing love for God and for others. Love ought to be a mark of someone who is in the faith. And seventhly, they serve the Lord by serving others. Okay? And then number eight, they care about unsaved people and try to reach them with the gospel. These are marks of people who are in the faith. Does that mean they do all these things perfectly? No? Do they, maybe sometimes they don't even do, no? But these should be marks that you find in the life of someone who's in the faith. All right. So, what I want to do is give you a test today. An examination. I, you know, Every now and then they reach out to me from the the doctor's office and says, you're due for an examination. And I go, no, I'm not. I don't want to go get examined. (laughs) But sometimes examinations are good for us. So here's an examination for us today. And as we we go through this, uh, I want you to think, once again, examine yourself whether you're actually in the faith. And then as you examine yourself and say, well, wait a minute, am I living like someone who's in the faith? There's something out of whack here. Something that needs to get changed. All right. So the first, I'm going to give you eight questions that match those eight attributes. The first question is this. Go ahead and go to it if you would. Right now, at this point in your life, are you consciously and confidently trusting Jesus as Savior and nothing else for your salvation? Okay? We've already talked about that. That's the gospel, right? And you're not trusting anything else. You're not saying, well, yeah, and I do... No, it's just... Jesus. Uh, you can know this. You can have this confidence. Uh, John in his first letter writes, and this is the record that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So was there a time and place when you received Jesus as Savior? And, and when you did that, like I said, he came into your life. If, you know, for me, like I said, that's been settled. I remember that. It is settled. You can know this. Uh, the next verse, he says, These things I have written unto you, that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe in his name, continue to believe in his name. Um, and so the question for you here is this. Uh, if you find yourself doubting, like, you know, I had a time when I was doubting. If you find yourself doubting, and, and it, it just keeps coming, and every time Walt presents the gospel... You find yourself doubting. Uh, it's, it's worth saying, okay, God, I need your help with this. I, I, I need your help, and then maybe get some help. Because you might say, well, I remember praying a prayer. Let me ask you this. Does praying a prayer save anybody? No that we can pray a prayer where we are consciously talking to God and, and saying, okay, God, I believe and I receive Jesus. We can do that, and the prayer can be part of that, but it's not the prayer that saves us because that would be a work, right? you got to say the right words. No, it doesn't, we don't go there. That's not where God goes. It's about that belief. So if you have a doubt, it may be that you don't understand something, and you can clarify that and help settle that for you, but it might just be that you never really have received Jesus as Savior. And you don't want to leave that undone. All right, one more verse related to that in Philippians. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us, what? he's going to continue it all the way to the end. And we can have that confidence, okay? So that's the first thing. Do you have that confidence? Faith that, boy, I have believed Jesus and received. I received him as Savior. All right, the second question is this. Since you have received Jesus as Savior, have you been baptized the way the Lord commanded? You mean I got to get baptized in order to be saved? What's the answer to that question? No, but if you have been saved, you should get baptized. And if you are refusing to get baptized, you need to ask the question, why? What's going on here? It may be that you don't understand something about baptism. You need to learn. But it could be that you haven't really settled the issue of your relationship with Jesus. Okay? So you need to, to deal with this. I mean, it's, it's right here. Uh, it, in Acts, it says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. All through the New Testament, when people got saved, they what? Got baptized. Seemed, well, that's a silly thing. You've got to get put under water. And brought back up. <laughs> okay, this word baptize means to immerse. It means to put into, down into. All right? And so, you know, we do that. Uh, what's the big deal about baptism? Uh, first thing that makes a big deal is Jesus said it. Right? And we have a decision every day, right? Trust the Lord with your heart, all your heart and, and lean not on what? Okay, I don't understand why baptism is such a big deal. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust the Lord. Acknowledge Him. Do what He says you ought to do. And if you won't, like I said if you're refusing to, you really need to, to, to figure out why is that? What's going on in my life? And get that resolved. Okay. Um, Peter talks, reminds me what baptism really is when he says this. He says, talks about baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And so the idea when you receive Christ as Savior, you understand I am forgiven. Uh, my sins are forgiven. I have eternal life. He's He's come of, wow. And now you have this good conscience toward God. And so what am I supposed to I'm supposed to be baptized. And so you get baptized. It's, it's how you express it. You're expressing openly to everybody else. I have received Jesus as my Savior. Well, I don't want anybody to know. Red lights and buzzers, uh, 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 what's going on? Because if you're really in the faith, you ought to be willing to do this. Okay. Third question: Do you desire, go ahead and, do you desire to read and understand what God says in the Bible? And demonstrate that desire by actually reading and taking in God's word on a regular basis. All right? We ought to love the Word of God. It's what told us about Jesus to begin with. And in it, he tells us all the things that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness. And and In it, he communicates with us personally many times in ways. And so the response of the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then he also says, therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, than fine gold. That's a big standard. Do you love the word of God that much? More than money? All right, so we really ought to be in the word. And once again, this doesn't... This doesn't mean that you won't find times when you know, I just feel like I'm too tired to be in the Word, or you you just get kind of twisted in your life a little bit and you aren't in the Word. We're not talking about those kind of things. We're talking about this sense of, if you really just don't care, I'm just not interested, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Okay? All right, fourth question. Do you desire to live the way God describes and commands in the Bible, including confessing and forsaking your sin whenever you fail to live by the Bible's teachings. I've said it a few times recently. If you can live in sin, ongoing sin, something that intellectually you know is sin, but you just don't care and it doesn't bother you, you need to really examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Because someone who has who, who has been profoundly changed on the inside and God himself moving inside, when your life doesn't match what God wants, there's an unrest there. There's an uneasiness there. Sometimes feelings of guilt even. Right? And it doesn't mean you can't struggle with the problem and fail. And, but that's the whole point. You're doing what with the problem? You're what? Struggling with the problem because you know it doesn't belong in your life. And you want to change, see? That should be evidence. And of course, James says what? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because if you're only a hearer, who are you fooling? Yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Okay? All right, uh, another verse of, in 1 John. If we say that we have no sin, again, we do what? We deceive ourselves. You're fooling yourself. And the truth is not in us. If we, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? Good news. But see, this is where we ought to live. So how do you, how do you in other words, you, you want to live by the word, you try to live by the word, and when you don't, how does that affect you? And if that's what's missing in your life, you need to say, wait a minute, am I in the faith? And if I say, yeah, absolutely, I know I received Jesus, but this is where I'm at, you've got to figure out why. Let's figure out why. You can't stay there. You know, i said early on that one of the things that that troubles me as a pastor is that you could sit here for years and never receive jesus savior something else that troubles me not quite as much and that's that you could be a christian and and when you die and you stand at the judgment seat of christ you look at and realize that most of your life was wasted because of how you lived that's a terrible thing too all right fifth question do you experience an ongoing awareness of your relationship with God, thinking of Him often each day and talking with Him about what's going on in your life. I just... Um, occasionally, occasionally, I'll get up and get about my day and things are going along and I'm getting ready and, and it'll be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, I have my first thought about God in the day. And when that happens, I'm like, wow, God, I, I, I'm, I don't know how I got this far without thinking of you and I think the reality when you have this relationship with God is that you are aware of it and I don't mean a feeling I'm not talking about a feeling I'm just talking about that there's an awareness of it and that as you look at life and think about life that, that your relationship with God comes up in there Uh, John talks about this relationship in his first letter when he says that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with who? The Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We actually have fellowship. You have fellowship with anybody here in the church? Well, you have the same kind of relationship, just fellowship with him. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we can know, we can have this confidence. Jesus promised at the end of this, which we didn't put up there for space sake, but he says, and lo, I am with you always. So we can have this ongoing awareness. Sixth thing, do you have a growing love for God and others that consistently motivates you to live like a Christian? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do you know who loves me? This is the one who keeps my commandments. Okay? Matthew, we, we know this. The, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is this in your life? A love for God? A love for people? Romans chapter 5 says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so if you just say, yeah, I don't really love people. I don't care about them. I just, you know, let me do what I want to do. You need to say, wait a minute, am I in the faith? Because John in his first letter says we know that we have passed from death to life because we what? Love the brothers. He who does not love his brother abides in death. If you just don't have any of this love for your brothers in Christ, in Christ, something's wrong. You're either not saved, or you got big problems. And you need to solve, figure out what that is, and and solve that. Again, we're not talking about being perfect, right? We're we're works in progress, but that's the deal. We ought to be in progress, okay? Seventh question, do you serve the Lord by regularly serving others, willingly inconveniencing yourself and giving of yourself for the well-being of others? And I've just gone from preaching to meddling, right? You're getting into your life here a little bit, uh, we uh, uh, Colossians uh, three says that you serve the Lord Christ. We should be serving the Lord. Philippians two says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of a what bond servant, he came and served." He says in in Mark chapter ten verse forty five, he says, "I didn't come to serve or to be served, but to serve." So the more we become like Jesus, we grow to be like him the more we should be willing to serve other people in our lives. Galatians gives us a command. He says, through love, serve one another. And so, again, if this is just, it's just missing, it's just isn't important to you, you know, are you in the faith? Or something, if you are in the faith, what's going on? You need to, to address the issue. Last question. Do you care enough? About unsaved people, to give up your own comfort and finances in an effort to reach them with the gospel. Personally witnessing, praying, and giving. The commands are there, right? Jesus said, quoted in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Wherever you go in the world, preach the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Praying always for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This is something that Christians do. And this might be a big challenge to you. And let me just put in a little, a little plug for evangelism for the tongue-tied. I know it's part two, but we already had to talk about the class that you could join us now in this class, pick up where we are, and you'll benefit. Okay? If that's an issue for you, if we can help you with that. That's my point. I'm not saying you've got to take that class or you're not saved. You guys were worried I was being serious there, weren't you? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and then Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses to the end of the earth. And you can't go to the end of earth everywhere in the world by yourself, but you can pray for people who are, and you can give to send them there. See, this ought to matter to us that people don't know the Lord. It really, really ought to matter to us. And if you're just not bothered by that, and you can walk through life and just not really care, you need to ask, am I really in the faith? Have I really been saved and changed here? And if you say, yes, I absolutely know that I have, then you need to say, well, what's going on? What's wrong here? I need Something needs to get fixed. And so, how did you do on your examination? You know, if you're able to answer yes to most of those questions, yes, unequivocally, you know, yes, awesome. There's a good chance that a bunch of us here today were saying, "Well, well, yes, but, right? Or well, sort of, or sometimes." And if that's us, then we actually we really need to say, "God, where, where am I? What's going on in my life, Lord? What do I need to think differently about? What do I need to do differently here to to live a life that where these works are matching my faith?" Um. But man, if you said no to one of these questions or two of them, just no. I really encourage you to to say to God, God, where am I really at with you? And it may be that you have never once and for all made that decision to receive Jesus as Savior. And you need to do that. So let's just bow our heads right now. Everyone bow your heads, eyes closed. And ask a question and ask, ask you to respond by raising your hand. Um, if you're here today, nobody else is looking around but me. If you're here today and you, or you're watching online even, but if you say, you know what? I'm just not sure about my relationship with Jesus. I don't know if I've ever settled that relationship. You're just being truthful. That's where I'm at. If that's you right now, would you just lift your hand up for me to see it? Anybody like that here today? All right. Uh, For some reason you are and you didn't want to raise your hand, or those of you who are watching or listening, you can settle this issue by just intellectually, you know that you've sinned against the Holy God and it's going to send you to hell. You you know that Jesus died for your sins rose again from the dead. And what you need to do is say, okay, I know this and I'm trusting it for myself. You know, say to God, God, I believe and I receive Jesus as my Savior. Do that today. All right, so those of you who are saying, no man, I, I know, I know that I have a relationship with Jesus. I have received him, but there were too many buts or sort ofs or it's not what it ought to be or if that's you, you saw yourself in that like I did, would you just raise your hand right now? Yeah, yeah. Father, we come to you and thank you for your word and the challenge to examine ourselves. And I pray, Lord, the basis of what we've seen and as we've examined ourselves that, that we'll leave here today how w- willing to, to work on these things, to grow, to do whatever it takes, Father, so that we live the way people who are in the faith ought to live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, God bless you. I don't, it's probably been snowing the whole time we're in here. I don't know. Be careful going home. Have a great week.